I was I was dead asleep. I had my boots off. I was dead asleep. What I remember was this bright, almost lightning flash of light. He was sleeping on the top bunk of these bunk beds up against the outer wall. And this Katusha rocket had penetrated this wall right where he was sleeping. Um, the, the reality of, of war, the reality of losing somebody became so real and so in your face. All of a sudden, you are completely changed. Now, you feel like you're vulnerable. You feel like it can be you. Hi, welcome to The Spear, a podcast by the Modern War Institute at West Point. I'm John Amble, Editorial Director at MWI, and The Spear is our platform to explore the combat experience. Each episode includes a single, one-on-one interview with a guest who walks us through a particular event and their role in it. A battle, a firefight, a mission, it's a first-person account of combat. We chose The Spear as the name of the podcast to capture two ideas. First, that combat is that unique experience that takes place at the tip of the spear. And second, that in our modern wars, it isn't just combat forces that can find themselves fighting. Any part of our military, any part of the spear, combat or support, can be forced by circumstances to become that sharp fighting end. In this episode, I talked to Tony Luberto. In 2007, as a first lieutenant, his battalion was deployed in Baghdad, Iraq. He was the maintenance platoon leader. Early one morning, the combat outpost where he lived was hit by several Katusha rockets. One of them penetrated the wall of the building, a room nearby his where the non-commissioned officers from his platoon lived. It seriously wounded two of his NCOs. He talks to the attack, his soldiers' efforts to save the lives of their friends, and how it impacted him in the platoon in the days, weeks, and months left before they would redeploy home. Really quick, before we hear from Tony, a couple quick things. First, be sure to follow MWI on Twitter, Facebook, and LinkedIn. It's a great way to stay up to date on what we're doing so you don't miss any of the new articles, podcasts, and research we're publishing every day. And second, as always, what you're about to hear are the views of the participants and don't represent those of West Point, the Army, or the U.S. government. All right, here's my conversation with Tony Luberto. Tony, thanks so much for joining us for an episode of The Spear. Sure, thank you. Thank you for having me. Uh, just to kind of start, can you can you can you tell listeners a little bit about your army background? Yeah, sure thing. Um, I was I was commissioned in the army in uh, in 2005 and and went to OBC uh, officer basic course uh, shortly thereafter uh, in Aberdeen, Maryland, because I branched at that time. It was the the Ordnance Corps. Now it's uh, I believe it's the Logistics Corps. So. Yeah, at the time I, I went up to Aberdeen and then uh, found out that I was going to be assigned to the 82nd Airborne Division, and I was excited about that because I wanted to be in in an elite unit um, that jumps out of airplanes and things like that, so I was excited about that. And so uh, shortly after OBC, I went to Airborne School and then reported to, to Fort Bragg uh, to the 2nd Brigade of the 82nd Airborne Division. And... Um, and uh, spent my entire uh, two and a half, three years there uh, with them. 
until we we got the uh, the deployment order, and I believe it was uh, December of uh, 2006. Yeah, it was. In fact, it was the day after Christmas when we got the deployment order. Okay, so um, <clears throat> can you just also briefly for for listeners who don't know what what does it mean to be an ordnance corps officer? What's your what's your job? Right. Yeah. For for the the I was assigned to the second battalion, 325th Airborne Infantry Regiment of the second brigade combat team and uh, my job was as the battalion maintenance officer so i had a a maintenance platoon um, and my job was to provide the maintenance forward support to the infantry battalion so we we did everything from the maintenance of the the vehicles uh, to weapons gauging as well as uh, maintaining and and keeping uh, the on the night equipment or night vision equipment uh, up to up to grade and up to speed in order for uh, the the line units to go out and, and do night operations. So it was a it was a big job because we were I was responsible for the entire battalion maintenance program. So it was a a lot of responsibility and uh, I didn't take it lightly. My soldiers uh, were fantastic. I had maintainers that that could do anything. So it was a, it was a great job to have as a platoon leader assigned to an infantry regiment. Great. So you're going to tell a story, I guess. The, the story you're going to share is is about a Katusha rocket attack that happened on that deployment. You mentioned that you got the deployment order the day after Christmas, 2006. Um, so can you talk a little bit about that deployment, where, where, where you went and when you, when you did deploy? Yeah, it was it was actually uh, – it was 2005, I believe. It was the, the day after Christmas uh, – I'm sorry, you're right. You're right. It was the day after Christmas, 2006. And then by by early January, um, we were in Kuwait. Uh, 2nd Brigade of the 82nd was the first brigade uh, to lead the surge of uh, troops into Baghdad. So there were five brigades that were going to be the surge effort uh, to reduce the sectarian violence that was going on in Baghdad. And my brigade, 2nd Brigade, was the first um, on the ground in Baghdad. So... By January, by early January, we were in Kuwait, and then we moved, we pushed up into uh, to Camp Taji, um, out, outside of uh, of Baghdad, and then from there, right around early February of 2007, we pushed into Sector to live amongst the population, which was the uh, the counterinsurgency uh, uh, operation that was going on with the five brigades and the rest of the 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 the, the task force. So. When we got into uh, our outpost, uh, out into our sector, we were we were at a, a combat outpost called uh, Callahan, Combat Outpost Callahan. And so we stayed um, from pretty much from February until March of 2008 at that uh, that outpost. And um, it was it was kind of interesting because when we got there, the the neighborhood was uh, was quiet, and they were like, "What is this massive uh, military footprint that's basically invading the 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 portion of uh, northeast Baghdad, just on the outskirts of Sadr City?" And then um, and then there was this slow rise of uh, of conflict. So the enemy trying to assert its power. And its authority um, to try to uh, move us out of the area of operations. So okay, so you so you you deployed as the maintenance platoon leader, correct? That's correct. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, as I understand it, your battalion was sort of pushed forces out beyond Cop Callahan as well. 
Is that correct? Right. Yeah. So we had the the main force of our battalion was located at uh, Cop Callahan, and we had our Delta Company push out to uh, Cop Ford. Uh, which was inside Sodder City, and then we had our Bravo troop um, of the 173rd Bravo troop was to push out to the Joint Security Station, uh, Sodder City. So we had elements embedded within Sodder City, but our main battalion headquarters, our Bravo, Charlie, HHC uh, companies were, and and our forward support company where I was, were, were located at Combat Outpost Callahan. Okay, and that was just on the kind of the north side of Sodder City, correct? It was, yeah. It was just on the outskirts of of Sodder City. I mean, you could go up to the rooftop of the of the outpost and look into Sodder City, um, so you could see it clear as day. Okay, so you said when you got there, it was it was sort of a quiet um, area of operations. There wasn't a lot going on, and but you said that there was kind of an uptick in in violence. Uh, how how long was it before? Cop Callahan itself was was attacked. It was it was within the first few days that we were there. So uh, I, and and the first few days were instrumental because we were we were focusing on uh, fortifying our position, obviously maintaining and upgrading our security uh, platform and apparatus, projecting power out into uh, the neighborhood to to ensure that uh, the enemy knew that we were there to protect the population. So. It was about three or four days after that to where we got into our first real big uh, firefight um, that to where, in fact, I was sitting outside uh, with my generator mechanic and we were we were smoking a cigarette together and a few rounds landed by our feet. We both kind of looked at each other like, what what was that? And then all of a sudden we had our uh, M240 Bravos up on the rooftop and they just opened up across the street and started annihilating the building uh, where we believe the fire was coming from, where the where the direct fire was coming from. And so from that point on, from from about the the, the first week or two of, of, of February of 2007, all the way through um, the early fall of 2007, we were involved in um, all different types of complex attacks, not only on our building, but on our forces as we were projecting power out into the neighborhoods. Um, so we, m- mainly during the summer of 2007, we came under uh, constant attack, whether it was from um, Katusha rockets, rockets, um, or uh, mortar attacks, uh, direct fire, small arms fire, uh, we we uh, the the IRAM attack, which was the improvised rocket assisted munition attack that occurred, which was kind of like the culminating event in uh, November of 07. So, but the uh, the one that that really was the catalyst for our battalion, um, as far as this building is uh, under constant threat, was the attack the the Katusha rocket attack that occurred on uh, May 1st of 2007 that directly hit. Um, my platoon um, sleeping area, the maintenance platoon sleeping area. Okay, so you had, um, this is now about, what, two, between two and three months after you had moved into Cop Callahan, you've gotten your bearings, you're, like you said, projecting force out into your area of operations, and then you get hit by this Katusha rocket attack. Can you, can you, can you talk about the attack? Sure. Um, the, the night before, um, 
my platoon sergeant had come up to me and had given me the new sleep plan. He said, "Sir, um, and and I was I had I had just been promoted not too long ago. I mean, I was a, a, a first lieutenant at this point, a young first lieutenant, and so I felt." fairly comfortable where I was with my uh, position in not only in the battalion but within my platoon and so he gave me the sleep plan he said sir I want to have all the NCOs sleep over in this area together I want them to be able to talk and communicate with one another and and um, make sure that they know what's going on with their soldiers day in and day out and um, and at the time we had just received bunk beds uh, up until that point we were sleeping on cots and uh, before that, you know, basically on the floor. So, um, so to sleep on the bunk beds was was real nice. I was still sleeping on a cot, but what we were just starting to get these bunk beds in. And so the NCO sleeping area had this uh, a series of flat bunks and and bunk beds. And uh, we just got our first group of soldiers back from their their first leave. And so one of those soldiers was one of my E5 squad leaders, Sergeant Horton, and uh, just showed up the night before, and he said, sir, I'm back, I'm good, and I was like, okay, uh, glad to have you, have you back, I uh, hope your leave went well, and we talked for a little bit, and then later that night, we, we all bedded down, and uh, of course, we had the, uh, the, the, the guys up on the roof providing security for us, and so we, we all just bedded down for the night, and I, I want to say it was... It was probably around 5.30, 6 o'clock in the morning. It was really early in the morning. And what I remember um, was just, I was I was dead asleep. I had my boots off. I was dead asleep. What I remember was this bright, almost lightning flash of light. And this associated, loud, crackle uh, explosion that shook the whole area. And I immediately woke up and I, I wasn't sure what was going on. I, I couldn't breathe. I could feel this uh, metallic smoke like in my throat. I didn't I didn't know what was going on. Um, it was just a haze. It was completely the, my whole sleeping area was filled with smoke. And then the screams started. And I, it was just this this unbelievably loud, horrible collective group of men screaming. And, um, and I remember I, I, I put my boots on and my boots had, uh, like broken pieces of rubble of rock in it from the explosion. And, um, I couldn't put my foot, my, my feet in my boots. So I had to take my feet out and dump out the, the rubble from my boots, throw my boots on my feet untied and run over to where, uh, through through the smoke and the haze to where this this uh, screaming was coming from. And, and how it, far away was that from from where you where you where your room was? It was probably about thirty feet, forty feet away. Okay. It wasn't it wasn't far. Um, and did you know where it was coming from? Did you know who who it was you heard? I I didn't know who it was. I knew it was over in the the corner area where my NCOs were, were sleeping. And so, um, yeah, I knew it was over in that general area. And I, I went over there, and I, I, I run over there, and I look over, and it's just just a, a, a scene of, of blood and smoke and um, 
people wailing, you know, and uh, and I look on the, on the ground, and there's there's Sergeant Horton, and he's in and out of conscious consciousness, and one leg is is completely gone, the other one is is hanging on by just a a thread of of muscle or or skin. He was sleeping on the top bunk of these bunk beds, up against the outer wall, and this Katusha rocket had penetrated this wall right where he was sleeping and basically um, impacted the side of, of his legs and threw him off the top bunk onto the ground. Shrapnel had, from, from the blast of the explosion, shrapnel had uh, penetrated uh, a lot of the beds over there and had wounded another E-5 sergeant, Sergeant Cunningham, in the, in the upper... Um, back thigh area and so I, I look down I'm I'm almost in um, an un, it's unbelievable you know I, I it was the it was going so slow things were going so slow yeah that's what I, I, I want to ask you about that moment when you when you get in there and you know your your eyes process it you see it but your brain it takes a second to process right what, what are you thinking what what is your as you're sort of processing and trying to make sense of what you're seeing and 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 really determine hey what's the what's the next action that needs to be taken right that's 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 exactly right as soon as it, it, it didn't take long for me to, to recognize okay we've got a casualty we've got multiple casualties um we this just happened we could still come under uh attack we could still go through more of a complex attack. I need to make sure. Then, then the training started kicking in. I need to make sure that I know where my people are. Um, and and at that time, my uh, platoon sergeant had come up next to me, and we have um, an E2 or an E3, a, a young private, administering buddy aid to Sergeant Horton. He is he is um, keeping him alert. Um, uh, Packing his 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 wounds as, as much as he can until we can get the uh, the medics over there. We're and and everybody's screaming for the medics. The medics are grabbing their their medical kits and uh, trying to get over there. And um, I look at I look at my uh, my platoon sergeant and I, and, and I said, uh, get accountability. I want I want to know where all the I want to know where all, all our guys are at. Get accountability right now. And uh, he was he was absolutely frozen. He was. That that one moment that I had of uh, oh my God what's going on that that period of um, just unsure of what to do uh, he was locked in that moment and he was he was not moving he was not um, he was just not uh, associating uh, reality well he he was not there and so I I had to I had to grab him I grabbed him. And I, I smacked him on the side of his ACH, his helmet, and I said, "Hey, I we I need accountability. Get accountability of our people." And he he came to and and got to work and started immediately getting to work. And uh, by that time, uh, the aid and litter team had moved up. The, the medics had moved up um, to uh, put uh, Sergeant Horton and Sergeant Cunningham onto the litter. To take them down to the uh, the first floor where our aid station was, um, and and I got I got accountability up from my platoon sergeant. I reported that up 
to to my company commander, and um, he he did the same through uh, through the first sergeant, and we immediately hightailed it downstairs to the uh, the aid station, accompanying our, our our two NCOs, and of course by this time. Um, we're, we're calling in the, the nine line medevac and, and getting the, the medevac, uh, over as fast as we can to get, to get them to the, uh, the cash for, to, to keep them within that golden hour. So that's, you said you, you got them downstairs to the aid station. And I wonder if you can kind of describe what, what, what does a facility like that look like at the battalion level when you're deployed? Um, what, you know, how, how robust is the medical support that you can really provide uh, to to soldiers who are wounded, especially wounded so seriously? Right. It was, uh, it, believe it or not, it was fairly it was fairly complex. Um, we, I, I believe we had a battalion surgeon down there. Uh, we had, um, I don't know if we had blood. I, I believe we had blood um, plasma. I think we had that. We had morphine. We had uh, th- there was uh, it was bright lights. Um, we had we had a, a lot of uh, gauze and bandages. It was it was a pretty um, clean and sterile environment, as sterile as it could be um, in in that type of uh, con- in the, the type of conditions that we were living in. So yeah, it was it was a really for for a combat outpost. I I thought it was a, a robust type of uh type of operation so what happens then now you you get him downstairs to the to the aid station and what happens next right so sergeant cunningham um is off to my left he's like off to my diagonal left and he is alert he is uh communicating um he knows what's going on and then right in front of me um with the with the docks surrounding him is uh is sergeant horton and so um, he is wrapped in in kind of this um, aluminum foil or aluminum the, the, this foil looking blanket wrapped in it and uh, they, they had they had given him uh, morphine for the pain and he was I, I remember uh, looking down at him he had he had blood spatter um, on his on his neck and on like the bottom part of his chin and uh, he was ghostly white I I, I don't think um, you know, and and I I knew Sergeant Horton. I knew him well. Um, we 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 tra- we trained together on Fort Bragg. We we ran together. We smoked together. We talked. You know, he was one of my squad leaders. You know, he was he was um he was good. And so to see him so pale, I'd I'd never seen anybody in that type of condition before. This was my first experience with something like this. And um and and. He, he he looks up at me and and he's like give me give me a cigarette um and and I said man man we we can't we can't smoke we can't smoke right now you got to you got to get better and I and I told him at the, and and at the time I don't know if it was insensitive or I was trying to divert his his mind off of the pain he went home on leave and his his daughter had just been born um that that's why he went on leave early and I told him, I said, man, just, just think of your daughter. Just think of your baby daughter. And, uh, and he, he looked up at me and he said, don't, don't you say that to me. You know, he said that as clear as day. And, um, I kind of, I kind of sat back and, uh, and, and I, I moved on to, to a different topic. I said, man, we're going to get you home. We're going to get you out of here. Uh, you're gonna make it. You're gonna be all right. Um, 
and and then then you could hear you could hear the uh, the Blackhawks coming in. You could hear they they land on the um, the landing zone right in front of our outpost, and uh, and we move them out to to the birds, uh, put them on, put the eye pro on them, you know the eye protection, and um, to prevent the dust from getting getting in their eyes, and then uh, they're off. They they go to the to the cache and then on, later on to um, to Landstuhl for uh, for onward movement to uh, to Bamsey at Fort Sam Houston. So yeah, I mean um, it was um, it was a it was not a good day. You know, it was not a good day to be um, a, a, a platoon leader. Yeah, I want to ask you about um, about that day first. First. Um, the, the the two NCOs that are that are wounded that you had medevaced they both survive they both lived they both survived so at this point though you've gotten them on the birds and and they're sort of you know for however long you've had in this window this morning since since you've been woken up by this attack that's your focus right is is helping these guys that's what everybody's everybody's focused on now they're off mm-hmm. and now I think that's the time you know how did the soldiers react emotionally. Um, you know, when, when now that that's done, they've got time to kind of come down from that adrenaline high. Mm-hmm. Um, and and I, I have to imagine that's going to be a pretty difficult day. It was, I didn't, and, and it's something that that's not that at the time, I don't, I don't know if it is today, but at the time it was not incorporated. Anything like that is not incorporated into the training environment, to the training cycles it is okay. You've got a casualty or you've got a KIA, or you've got the nine line medevac. There's no there's no training after one of your best soldiers is actually medevaced on how do you handle the the mental aspect of running a platoon after an event like that. And so and um, and it and it can happen anywhere. It can be a line unit. It can be a, a field artillery unit. It could be a, a maintenance platoon. It can be any type of unit. How do you how do you drive on? from that and so when I got up back to the uh, to the platoon area obviously uh, the, the soldiers were um, a mess they were a wreck uh, the area was completely destroyed um, our area had, was covered in in rubble there was still smoke um, and and dust everywhere uh, there was blood everywhere um, over in that area and so uh, I had soldiers who were crying. I had soldiers who were absolutely terrified to go on uh, to the roof to pull security. Um, the, the reality of, of war, the reality of losing somebody became so real and so in your face all of a sudden from going to bed one night to waking up you are a completely changed, different individual. Now, you feel like you're vulnerable. You feel like it can be you. And so dealing with that was extremely hard. Um, extremely hard. So I, what the, fir- the first thing I did was, was get, the, get, get my platoon sergeant, all my, all my squad leaders together, and to tell them, look, you, we got to encourage... Our soldiers to move on. We've got to. We've got a mission to do. We've got a high operational tempo. We have to. We a part of our job is to protect this building. 
Um, we've got to continue to foster a safe and secure environment for us to do what we came here to do. So, um, and that's how we moved on. Uh, I did not know at the time that the the battalion commander um, had different plans. I, I, I didn't understand, but I understand it now. I didn't understand where the battalion commander uh, came from with his directive of my job is, or his job, is to ensure that the maintenance platoon is absolutely 100% dog-tired by the end of the day. Physical labor was his, was his thing. Why is that? I, 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 well, I think at, at the time I, I understood it. I understood, I understand it even more now, but he knew that we had been through a significant traumatic event and he knew that people were going to be scared to go to sleep. So he wanted to ensure by making, by, by putting us to our physical limits that day that we would have no no choice but to go to sleep that we want to sleep and so for the the rest of that day uh between moving up and down between the roof and our floor to pull security we moved sandbags from the bottom of the floor from the from the ground floor up to our living area to plug the holes we move we rearranged the live the the sleeping area um we swept up we cleaned blood off walls um this was a platoon um, designated event, and um, and by the end of that night, uh, the the soldiers were extremely tired. Uh, they were still frightened, uh, but they were they were tired. You know that decision by the battalion commander, if that was his motivation, if he understood that, that I mean that demonstrates a pretty serious degree of, I guess you call it leadership wisdom, knowing you know what what the platoon needs at, at that time, what the, what the soldiers needed at that time. And it's a small thing, but probably a really important thing, at least to kind of get through that day and night. Um, what about going forward? Cause this is still, you've still got, you know, the better part of a year left in country for this deployment. Did it have an impact in, you know, not just the, you know, the hours and a couple of days to follow, but in the weeks and months to follow? I think it had, I think it had two different, um, uh, ways about moving through the platoon. Um, I think the, 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 the first, the first wave was the, the folks who were, uh, terrified and understandably so, um, terrified of, uh, uh, of anything that, that perceived as a threat, somebody walking down the street, somebody walking down our avenue of approach. Is that an enemy? Is uh is is that is that a a civilian? Uh, does that person have a weapon? Do they not? What are they reaching in their pockets for? There was that one one direction that it moved for for I believe a, a good portion of the platoon, and then there was the 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 other side was um you you believed that you could be hurt, you believed that um you weren't going to make it out of there alive, you and you accepted that and that was where your life would end was was there in baghdad so you you moved on into a different type of operational environment you had no problems 
making hard decisions. Um, there were the people who were ex- overly motivated to do the mission and get uh, the enemy off the street. And and so I think that, that those were the two, two types of uh, personalities that I was dealing with after that moment for the rest of the deployment, really. And, um, and it didn't get any, it didn't get any, uh, better. It, that was the, that was the early spring. Uh, we still had all of the summer and the fall and the winter to go through together. And we would of course, uh, receive many, many, many more attacks. We would of course receive, uh, more KIA, uh, more wounded, um, from, from our, from our company, you know, and, um, and so we we had a long way to go. So it was it was almost um, like just taking it one day at a time. It was if I if I made it through today, I, I'll try to make it through tomorrow, and just continue to do our jobs. And it was uh, it was just really tough. It really was. This is your first deployment. You're a you know young first lieutenant. Um, did you learn anything from this experience? Did it did it sort of shape your development or influence your development as as a leader in the army, it did. Um, it was it. It has this unbelievable power. Uh, th- these these sh- sh- events that kind of string along together. You you have this insane amount of time to kill and a lot of boredom, and then you have these moments of extreme intensity. And it's it's those moments that you truly become like an integral part of one another. You are a family, unlike any family you've ever known in your life. And uh, before we deployed, I was this book smart lieutenant by the book. Um, and, you know, I, I did everything dress right dress. You know, I wanted to make sure that we were in formation on time. We did... PT together and and uh, I got the battalion maintenance report and everything just seemed to make sense, you know. By the end of the deployment, it was more about the relationships. It really was. It really was about the people, my soldiers, and my relationship with them. I grew so much tighter with them um, as we progressed through the deployment. I all of a sudden was cursing around them and uh, smoking more and more with them and um, shooting the breeze with them, um, just getting to know them and uh, their quirks and their uh, the things that they like to do to blow off steam, whether it was skateboarding or boxing or MMA or uh, Xbox. You know, I'd sit up there and play video games until two in the morning. You know, it was it was it was things like that that so. I think the one thing that I learned was um, was to really, when you get to your platoon, there there are going to be some real hard people to deal with, and there's going to be some real squared away people to to deal with. And when you go into combat and you are fighting for your life and you are fighting every single day, Somebody who is squared away may freeze, and somebody who is hard to deal with may become an absolute hero. And 
I'm not I'm not saying one is better than the other one. I'm saying that this is the types of things that happen in combat. And either way, you you have this amazing uh, connection to these people. So um, some of these people I talk to uh, even today, um, and and we can immediately pick up a conversation and talk about anything on Earth. It's really it's really weird. I can talk to them about things that I don't talk to with my, with my own family about, you know. And so I, I think the one thing I learned was it's it's really about the the soldiers and what's going on in their lives. That's really is what is, what's important, you know. Well, I want to say, you know, I'm, 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 I'm glad, uh, that, that both of the, uh, both of your soldiers that were wounded, uh, made it through. Um, and I, and I want to thank you for sharing the story. It's, um, there's kind of a lot to, to unpack there. And, and so I appreciate it. Thank you, John. I appreciate you having me. I really do. Hey, thanks for listening to The Spear. Remember, you can find and subscribe to The Spear on iTunes, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts. And if you're enjoying the stories we feature, we'd love it if you'd take just a moment and give us a rating or leave a review. Thanks again for listening.